What's happening, everybody? Welcome once again. This is Syracuse Basketball Post Game, presented by Krause Health, the official healthcare supplier of Syracuse Athletics. Brent Axe, Mike Waters with you, and coming off a 81-70 victory for Syracuse over Cornell at the JMA Dome tonight. Syracuse certainly passed a test against the Big Red, Coach Red, Greater than Big Red tonight. And, Mike, this was a game that Cornell did not go away until Syracuse was able to pull away at the very end. Judah Mintz and Quadier Copeland with a little exclamation point at the end. Back-to-back dunks from those guys. Another huge game from Judah Mintz. Justin Taylor big tonight. Malik Brown all over the boards. Chris Bell, another strong second half and scoring. Everybody did a little bit of everything. Even guys that air quotes struggled, as we'll talk about. Quadir at times. J.J. Starling all contributed here. Syracuse with 13 threes in this game. Something to note there. And yes, uh, we have another layer in the Benny Williams saga at Syracuse as well. So that kind of sets the table for what Mike and I are going to cover here. Mike, let's start with the game itself. And look, this is a young Syracuse team that's going to get tests from everywhere. We were talking before the game, and this Cornell team, they remind me of Colgate like three or four years ago, right? On the verge. You could tell they're knocking on the door. The Ivy League has not been kind. There's been some teams that are just stacked above Cornell there, and they haven't been able to kind of cut through. But this is a team that plays hard. They move the ball. Uh, they had nine threes tonight, but they can certainly shoot better than that. And they gave Syracuse all they could handle. They did. You know, Cornell has been good in getting better over the last few years. Uh, they've been, been a challenger in the Ivy League. They're making that four-team Ivy League tournament. Uh, you mentioned the comparison to Colgate. I don't know if they're quite where Colgate was just yet, but it does feel like Brian Earl is getting this program and, and pro- to progress. Uh, now, can they ever break through that Harvard, Yale, Princeton type wall there? That's a that's tough to get through. Uh, but maybe one of these years, and, and this is a team that could do it. They they push tempo. They, they can shoot threes, but they also excel getting inside. They, you know, they create really good looks with those back cuts. Um, they're a veteran group. Um, God, he plays a ton of guys. He does. I mean, they sub a lot. I'm pretty sure there were guys that played for Cornell that weren't on the roster entering the game tonight. I mean, the box score, the length of the Cornell box score is ridiculous. Um, you know, 85 points a game they came in averaging. And they weren't going to change the way they played. They were going to push tempo. They were going to test Syracuse. They were going to move it up the floor. You know, Adrian Autry mentioned after the game, hey, listen, you know, we held a team that was scoring 85 points a game to 71. <laughs> or 70. Little, t- little victories. Little yeah, victories, know, right? right. Uh, now, I talked to a few of the Cornell folks after the game, and they're like, man, we missed some open shots. Yeah. You know? They really yes, did. It is a little different if you have a six seven guy flying at you but they still felt like those were shots that were open and, you know, to, to go nine of 33 it just doesn't quite get you over the hump when you're looking to pull an upset at the dome. But yeah, they played 13 guys, by the way, as you 13. said, that, that 13 guys. And that's not one of those situations where, you know, all the walk-ons got in at the end. And that's why the box yeah. score looks that way. This is a very long list. And you brought that up, Mike, with the open shots. I turned to you at one point during the game. I'm not, I don't want to take anything away from what Syracuse did, as we'll cover here shortly. 
But I turned to you at a point in the second half, and I said, doesn't it feel like Syracuse is getting away with something here in this game? And that's what it was. Cornell had so many open threes. They hit two or three more of those, Mike. It was still tight at the end. It might have been Syracuse trying to overcome a tight lead that Cornell had. Cornell led on the boards for most of the game. Syracuse eventually did win in that department. So somebody asked me before the game, like, you know, what do you, how do you think it's going to go tonight? I'm like, I, I think Cornell is going to push Syracuse to the brink. And that's exactly what we saw in this yeah. game. So credit to them. And it was just, you make a few more threes, man. And this is, we're going to be talking about something entirely different right now. But Syracuse passed the test. They did, but you know, you're right. You know, Cornell was right there. I mean, even with all the missed threes, with three minutes to go in the game, that's a three-point game. It was 71-68 after Isaiah Gary got that steal uh, out there in open court and then went in for that slam dunk over poor Kyle Cuff. Whoa. Oh, um, what a dunk that was. It was a great dunk. It was a great dunk. Um, you know, Kyle could have been called for a foul on that play. If that if that gets a whistle. Uh, Gary can make a free throw and make it a two-point game. So, yeah, then things get really tight. But, you know, credit Syracuse for not tightening up, uh, for coming back down the court uh, and getting some key plays from, like you mentioned, and you alluded to it, and we can get there right now if you want. A few guys who had been struggling early in that game, mm-hmm. uh, lo and behold, are the guys that came up with some of the key plays down the stretch for Syracuse specifically J.J. Starling and Quadir Copeland. Yeah, J.J.'s a great example, Mike. I mean, look, Judah Mintz at 28 points, and, and we'll talk about him. You have to uh, every game when it comes to him and, and what a recovery he had from a game he really struggled in last time. But Quadir, and Mike's going to have more about this in a story that will be up on Syracuse.com on Wednesday, so make sure you check that out. But he, he struggled but made the plays down the stretch he needed to. J.J. Starling had another tough night on the offensive end. When you look at his overall numbers in this game, J.J. was 4 of 12. He uh, was 0 for 3 from three-point range, where he's really struggled this year. He had three turnovers, scored eight points, but he had a huge bucket that could have swung the game one way or the other had he not made it down the stretch. Red Autry brought that up. So, yeah, Judah had 28, and Justin Taylor had a big game, and Chris Bell had a big game, but you need all those things. And, oh, by the way, Malik Brown had 12 rebounds out there and did not score so so much came together for this team but Quadir and 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 JJ in particular Mike what what did you like about what you saw from them and and what we're going to read in your story about Quadir on Wednesday I thought the thing that impressed me about Quadir was how he bounced back from really just a horrific first half he played about 11 11 and a half minutes in that first half I think he had a couple points but the worst part was he had four turnovers just four ghastly turnovers. In a quick stretch, by the way. Yeah. yeah, it was. And he was getting into foul trouble as well or early in the second half. But he, he comes back, and because of that foul trouble, he doesn't play probably as much as he would have. But he's still in four minutes in that second half. I think he had like two assists, four points, a key rebound, um, and, and a uh, one play that he doesn't get, you know, first of all, zero turnovers too, by the way, mm-hmm. in those four minutes and a critical free throw uh, with a minute left in the game. And they're still clinging basically to a five point lead when he goes to the line, there's a minute to go. It's a lot of time. You know, if he misses you know, the front end of that one and one 
and Cornell gets the ball and is coming up the floor with a five-point deficit, you know, they make a shot and it's a one-point, you know, one-possession game again. Uh, but Quadir, who's, you know, not – he's not Jerry McNamara at the free throw line or Jim <laughs> Lee, let's put it that way. For, for whatever generation you're from, uh, I've got you covered on good free throw shooters there. Quadir is not that. Straight to my heart there. He yeah. rolled that first one in, man. That ball saw every centimeter of that ring. <laughs> it did. Dropped in. Once he saw that one go in, he makes the second, and now they're up seven with a minute to go. And I really felt like, you know, does that finish the game off? No, but that was the cushion you needed. And, you know, a really big moment for, for Quadir to, to come through there. He had another play, too. It's going to go completely unnoticed because it's not going to get in the stat sheet at all. On the possession before J.J. Starling's mid-range jumper, there was a play where I think it was Judah drove in the lane, missed it, and there was a kind of a fight for the ball and the rebound, and it was ruled a held ball. That was Quadir Copeland. So he doesn't get credit for that rebound, but because he was in there fighting for it, it was a held ball and Syracuse had the possession arrow. So they retained possession. And then on that next possession is when JJ makes that critical shot. So credit to Quadir for being under the boards there at six foot six and scrapping. And he knows that. And that's what he said after the game. Like I bring the energy and coach Autry brought it up in the press conference that he doesn't think this team gets tight. It's a tight situation. He says, I don't think this team gets tight. And I asked a bunch of guys about that in the locker room afterwards, and they just—they all pretty much had the same answer, that we have a lot of confident players that do not lose their confidence. And this was a night where that was an example. Quadir got tested, but still was making those plays. J.J. had the confidence to hit that mid-range jumper. Judah Mintz with 28 points tonight, Mike. He had five three-pointers, which is a career high for him in that department. I ain't going to lie here, guys. A couple of them were junk threes. I mean, he just kind of chucked up a couple to start in the first half, but there were some good open looks. You'll take five three-pointers from Judah Mintz anytime, anyway. This is a team that's really struggled at the three-point line, Mike. For them to get 13 with Chris Bell adding five himself, Justin Taylor also hitting from the outside. That is a box you check every time, no matter how they got there. I believe you asked Coach Autry about that afterwards, Mike. Like, hey, 13 of 32, is that – how do the numbers balance out there? Is that something you want to see? And if, if you're Red Autry, maybe not. You maybe want that percentage a little tighter, but you'll take the 13 part of that, no matter how many t- shots it took to get there, I guess. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. We really were wondering about how this team was going to do from three-point range entering the season. Like, all in the offseason, we're talking about, you know, because they lost Joe Girard, and we didn't know where the shooting was going to come from. Here's something weird for you. With tonight, they made 13 three-pointers. It's the third time in just nine games this season that they've made 10 or more threes in a game. Wow. That happened only once all of last season. Wow. Only one time, and that was that ACC tournament lost to Wake. That's right. That's the only time they made 10 or more. So, you know, they have shown that if you get Justin going and Chris going, and then all of a sudden you're finding that Judah Mintz can make an open three. Now, is he going to take the contested threes that a three-point marksman like a Preston Shumpert is asked to do or Buddy Beheim, you know, guys like that, Elijah Hughes? No, you don't want him taking those threes because that's not his role. But if he starts making those open threes, and he gets them right now because teams are so scared to death of his penetrating ability, 
Well, if they have to come up and play him a little bit more, then Judah's ability to put the ball on the floor and drive is just going to be accentuated, and he can he'll be able to do that some more. Here's something too: Judah Mintz now over the last five games is ten of eighteen from three point range. That's a big improvement for him. That's stunning. I mean, that's over 50%. I can't do the math to get you the exact number, but I can't. Well, actually, I might be able to. Five. That's 55.5%, right? There you go. Instant math on that. I love it. That's for Which for him. A lot of back of baseball cards back in the day. Everything. Yeah, there you go. Pay it off. I've been watching a lot of those videos lately on Instagram, by the way, when guys open packs of old baseball cards, but that's a whole different topic for a different day. I'm obsessed with that right now. Judah making that leap, Mike, that's what everybody said had to happen this year. All the other parts of his game were solid. And, you know, you look at the leadership aspect, how he would adjust with J.J. Starling in the same background. But backcourt, pardon me. You look up after these games to see Judah at 28, like that's normal now, no matter how he got there. But to add the element of usually that's, 28 he was at the free throw line probably 18 times a lot of drives and maybe one or two threes to balance out 28 with five three-pointers is a big step for him as a player mike we'll get into the benny williams situation here uh shortly i want to hear what our uh, syracuse sports insiders had to say and always great to hear from you guys as we did throughout the game and have been hearing a lot from lately with everything going on not only with basketball but of course the Fran Brown hiring and press conference and uh, Coach Brown was at the game tonight by the way he addressed the crowd briefly during a timeout in the first half and our Syracuse Sports Insiders have been uh, firing away at 315-847-3895. If you're not a Syracuse Sports Insider, become one today. You can text me directly, get your thoughts to me during games, exclusive access, my opinions first, breaking news, and so much more. And here's what the uh, insiders were saying about this one, Mike. All right. Brian says, do you think that clutch basket by JJ will get him going? It's a good question because I thought that three-pointer hit in the last game and a couple other things would get him going, but and coach Autry said the same thing again tonight, Mike, nobody's going to have 30 good games. You got to string together some more consistency though. And it just feels like JJ is still trying to figure it out. Like, like when Judah's doing his thing, you got to let Judah do his thing, but still feels like that clutch shot aside that JJ is still trying to find his role on this team at this point. So will it, that yeah, get him going? Yeah, you would you know, hope so. It's hard. You know, sometimes it can be hard if you're a guard like JJ and you're playing alongside someone like Judah who's going to have the ball in his hands a lot. Uh, I don't know if that's it or not. Or if we're, maybe we're reading a little bit too much into it. I mean, he has been in double figures in about six of the nine games this year. Uh, he, he, you know, he, he didn't score a lot. He actually had a pretty bad game in that blowout win of LSU. So you're like, oh, right, so what, you know? Not everybody's going to play great when you have a 20-something point win over LSU. But, uh, you know, you really could have used him more tonight. I thought tonight actually was a game that he could have been uh, more effective. He's got that, you know, the strength advantage. He's got great size. I thought he could have taken his man off the dribble a little bit more. He just wasn't converting. I think he still can. Um, You know, we talked last year we were using the Batman-Robin, you know, theme. Mm -hmm. Uh, that that old trope 
Uh, <laughs> you know, like, and I think I was like, you know, Robin was consistently there for Batman. And right now, JJ isn't getting that consistency. He's not quite there yet. It's like he's not far off, though. I mean, when you look at it overall and you're like, hey, he's in double figure six out of nine games. And then, uh, you know, Tennessee was one. That's a tough team, right? You know, Tennessee's going to make it tough on you. Um, yeah. You know, Adrian Autry mentioned it after the LSU game. You're not going to have a great game every night out. Um, so, you know, he's allowed to have a couple of bad ones. Now, these well, next few games coming up can't afford to have a bad game. Yeah, that's it. Is going to need both of its starting guards to play really well against Georgetown and Oregon away from home over the next week and a half. That's it. And you want JJ to start to get some momentum going into league play. These are tough teams coming up for Syracuse who can't really overlook anybody at this point. And you know who's been robbing to Batman is Chris Bell to <laughs> Judah's Batman at this point. So maybe I know it's technically Judah and JJ are in the same backcourt. It's natural to link them together, but it's actually been Bell who has served that role. More from the text line, Mike, different Brian. Brian D says Syracuse took care of business tonight. Huge win for the Orange as they can now look to Georgetown. These next string of games will be crucial for Syracuse, as you just noted, before they get into conference play. Looking forward to watching this matchup this weekend against the Hoyas. Also from the text line, Brent in, not Brent, Brent in, says, Judah shooting threes like that will make Syracuse more dangerous offensively. J.J. still trying to find his rhythm offensively. Defense is my main concern there. Thought he played a little better tonight, but is still getting beat off the dribble by guys that shouldn't beat him off the dribble. Chris Bell continues to impress, and Justin Taylor needed that game, but needs to shoot like that against good competition, not just against awful defenses. Quadir also did some good things tonight, but still tries to do a little too much with the ball. Uh, a couple more texts here, Mike, from our friends on the text line. Just going through them here. A lot of questions about Benny Williams, of course, which we're going to address here shortly. Uh, Arthur saying off the text line, uh, great seeing the Orange having many significant contributors to the win, especially happy for J.J., who had that crucial two-point pull-up jumper towards the end of the game. And let's see. I'm just backtracking to some during the game, Mike, and there's a few here from Paul, uh, from Vern, who wanted to see more full-court pressure. Uh, a lot of people asking about uh, and making comments along the lines of, I don't think Cornell's going away here. <laughs> and just watching the texts kind of pile up on that department right to the end there. And a few uh, people, including David C., saying, you know, Syracuse has got to play tougher here. They should be burying this team. And, you know, look, I don't think Syracuse is really in that position where you can assume they can bury teams like this, especially a better Cornell team, as we mentioned. So that's I a few agree. good things right. off the text line there, 315-847-3895. Hey, Brett, before we get to Benny, I know we, we're going to get to Benny here before we're out, but um, there's one guy we need to mention. That's Justin Taylor. Uh, Justin Taylor had a Really good game tonight. He did. Uh, 15 points. He made three of his eight three-pointers. That's a good percentage. You'll take that uh, every day of the week. That's a 37.5%, so that's good. Uh, but eight rebounds, six assists. And this, this warms my heart. Zero turnovers. I, I, I hate turnovers. Uh, six turnovers. I'm not a huge believer in plus-minus all the time because sometimes that can be so dependent on other factors in the game. And 
were you out there? Who were you out there with? Did you happen to be out there when the other team caught fire? It had nothing to do with your presence on for it. But the fact that his plus minus was plus 20. <laughs> that's sick. That's I mean, in an really year, good. And there's nobody else on the team anywhere near. I mean, Judah had a was plus 14. And, you know, I think JJ and Naheem were both plus 10. But for Justin, it really mattered to have Justin on the floor tonight. He did so many things well. There is to go back to what was I think? Oh, Jim Beheim used to say that that was the most overrated stat. Right? I know. And I don't disagree with him. I'm not, you know, again. But I you can't discount plus 20. Like, that's just, that's an incredible number. And, man, like, the six assists, the no turnovers, those are add-ons there. The all-around game, good shots, rebounding. Like, that's the perfect Justin Taylor game. As Mike, we, we've brought up, he's in a, a, in a tough spot and playing power forward. He's in a game where Benny Williams isn't coming in to spell him. And I, for a while there were like, well, of course, Benny's not coming in because Justin's playing well. And then it obviously evolved as we'll get into here shortly, but man, that was so encouraging. And in the all around aspect of how this team won this game with contributions everywhere, Malik Brown didn't just rebound. He had 12 rebounds, right? And you look at the other numbers, like you don't care if he didn't score. It was asked in post game, like, do you do you want to see him score a little bit more? And of course, yeah. <laughs> Ben, of course, you, you want to see him score around the basket in particular. But if he's giving you twelve rebounds and setting up other guys out there the way that he did, and Mike, that's something that Cornell's so good at, as you wrote about in your game preview. They take a lot of threes, but they were second in the country coming into this game. Uh, what was that in the uh, was that paint points or was that follow up points? Two pointers. Just two-pointers in general, right? And a lot of that was just getting to those spaces when they missed those threes. So for Malik to counter that with those rebounds, as we mentioned, Cornell actually led on the boards for most of the game before Syracuse overtook him. It was a big, big thing. I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that, and, and JT deserved his, his shout-out. Okay, let's get to Benny Williams. Here's what we know. Benny was on the bench. He was in his uniform. All looked normal. He was up towards the side of the bench to start the game where players are going to get in, right? You've got that rotation of guys you know are going to get in. As the game evolved, Benny started to put on more clothes. He put on his blue tank top warm-up. He put, first, he put on his uh, blue pants. Yeah. If you're putting your pants on on the sideline, you're not expecting to get in, right? As the game evolved, he slid further away from Coach Autry down to a part of the bench where you know guys aren't going to play. There were several timeouts. He didn't even get up. Yeah, there were like some. That. There were some. I'm sorry. What was that, Mike? I said, yeah. I didn't. You can't like that. You, when you see that, you're like, no, that's this not is, good. And this is this might. For all we know, this it's this type of stuff is why you're not playing, right? I don't. I don't know. Adrian Autry, after the game, said that he wanted to play the guys that he thought gave him the best chance to win. Okay. That was his comment. Yeah. So you can sort of see, like, like, and, and, he, and he even talked about how at the end of the game, like, why did he have Quadir Copeland in there? It was for defense. He, with, with a lead, with a five, seven, you know, point lead or whatever, he, it was, he valued defense. That's why Quadir's in there. So, you know, maybe it was a situation where, you know, they're looking at it in the past games and they, they haven't been happy with, Benny's defense or whatever it is it 
you could sort of play it off as a did not play dash coaching decision, right? DNPCD. I don't know if that's really the case or if there was other stuff leading up to this. Um, Cause it is still weird that Benny doesn't even get a sniff of playing time. As the game went further down the road, not only was he not getting up at times, the times he did get up off the bench, he was not even in the huddle. There were, there were some times there's actually some video of this on social media where he was just kind of like fake shooting at the hoop during timeouts. Mike, this is a guy who is supposed to be your veteran leader. He is yeah. one of the, he's the only junior on the team. This is, this keeps happening. And look, last year you had the the situation where he took a, I think it was deemed a mental health break, right? Yeah, you had the suspension, like yeah. whatever that was. He, he wasn't there. Mm-hmm. You had the suspension for a violation of team rules at the beginning of this season where he missed an exhibition game in two games. Mm-hmm. In the middle of the Maui Invitational, he just doesn't play against Gonzaga, which was deemed a violation of team rules. He did play the next night against Chaminade. Right. He's starting to get back in the flow in the two games after that. Yeah. Where LSU he was deemed. Yeah. LSU in Virginia, where it was deemed. The opposite of tonight, where Coach Autry thought he could help this team win. Then all of a sudden, tonight, everything looks normal, and he just doesn't get in there. Yeah. Coach Autry's got a distraction on his hands at this point. Like, we we can't keep dancing around this. Something's up, and generic statements like that, that's what he's going to give you. It's not like Red Autry's going to air the dirty laundry of this team. It's one thing, though, Mike, when it's what we don't see something that happened at practice, whatever happened in Maui, right? Everybody saw this out there tonight and how Red Autry handles this going forward. And I think we even brought it up during the game. Benny, is he going to be in a spot where he won't be able to play near his hometown? With Syracuse going to Georgetown this weekend in Washington, D.C.? Like, this is a situation that, you know, you've got a few games left here before the winter break for this team and I, they need him as much as we keep circling back to these situations that can be deemed distractions. And this one was on full display at the dome tonight. They need him as a player. If he would just, if he would just listen and do what a veteran player is supposed to do, we wouldn't be having this conversation. I don't want to speculate about what's going on with him, but Mike, this was, something we all saw play out and he was uh, like, it's not like he sat there in his warmups the whole time. He was sitting there as if he was going to play in the game. And I don't know what happened because I wasn't watching the bench the whole time, but whatever happened that led Autry to believe he wasn't deemed worthy to help his team win tonight. Like this is just odd. It is curious. It's a weird situation. Now I talked with Adrian Autry before the season. Uh, talked about coaching and things he's been instituting. And one of the things he wants is a real open line and, and clear communication between he and the players and the assistant coaches and the players. So I would have a hard time believing that Benny Williams didn't, shouldn't have had some idea of like how he was either going to be used or actually not used tonight. You know, there's there's supposed to be meetings weekly with your position coach and meetings weekly with Adrian Autry. And right. And if you're a coach and you felt like there's a chance like Benny Williams isn't going to get in a game, 
you probably give him some sort of heads up. I don't know. It's, it's, it's very odd, but you're right right now. It, is it a distraction? I see the thing is, is like, I know like when the media, you know, when we talk about it mm-hmm. and when fans are all up in arms about what's going on, what's going on. And they like, you know, it, it's hard not getting an answer. Right. But it doesn't mean that it's as big as distraction as we think it is for the team itself, because the people that probably need to know what's going on know. So, Fair. You, know, you know, we could, you know, Red Autry and Benny Williams uh, could be handling this tonight for all we know, or tomorrow or the next, you know, or yesterday. Could be. It could be, right? But here, here's why I say uh, it's a distraction. There's a line of communication there, and Red, you know, maybe we're maybe Benny's going through a, a teachable moment. But they, you're I right. They they know they know more behind the scenes. But here's why I say it's a distraction, because yeah. well, Benny's out there like he's going to play, and then all of a sudden, if you're on that bench and and you're a player looking like why, why is Benny not going, and all of a sudden like things maybe you weren't thinking about before the game. You do start thinking about wondering about. Obviously, it didn't affect them and how they played tonight, particularly the performances we talked about, because players play and they get through it. Yeah. But then all the questions are going to come to them. The speculation that's that's happening on social media. This is, as we mentioned, multiple incidents that have happened now. Like this, this stuff kind of festers, and we know how fans want to know what's going on, and they're curious about the team. And so, yeah, we'll see how it evolves. And it's another. T- it was a test early for Red Autry when this happened right at the beginning of the season. It was his first, like, real test as a coach out in the public eye that we saw. And here he's going to be judged again on what continues to happen here. And I want to be careful about how I say this, Mike. I'm not calling Benny this, but what we are seeing is is immature behavior. You know, what we saw tonight. Like, he didn't get put in the game, staying off to the side, sitting on the bench. Like, it's one thing if you didn't play, but you're still in the huddle and you're still in there like you're going to play, demonstrating what a veteran leader of a team should do. That's not what I saw tonight. That's not what somebody, and I get he's frustrated and everybody's emotional in these situations, but that that was not what a player who's been around and is, let's face it, is looking for another chance here. You know, our colleague Donna DeTota had that great story about Benny ready for redemption, which ran before the season the behavior he had out there tonight, I'm not calling him immature as a person. I'm saying the behavior was immature and it's, it's not what you need to see. The body language was bad. No question. Um, it didn't look good. You'd like to see a player, even if he's not going to be like the most enthusiastic guy jumping off the bench and cheering his teammates on, at least you've got to remain engaged. You got to realize that even though you're not in the game, people are still watching. People are people are looking. People like you, me, fans, TV cameras. It's on full display. Exactly. It, it was, yeah. And it was not a great look. And try to remind ourselves, you know, he's he's still a fairly young guy, young man. But on the flip side, as you mentioned earlier, while he might be young, he's the most veteran experienced guy on this team. He's a junior on a team that has no seniors, and he's the only one of the juniors on this team that's been in the program for three full years. Munir Hima and Naheem McLeod are also juniors, but Naheem's a transfer. Munir's a transfer. You know, it's Munir's second year. So, you know, Benny has been here the longest. He should, you know, know what's going on. And again, though, you know, I, I hope he and, and is able to figure things out. 
because if he is, I still think he can play a critical, vital role for this team. Because Absolutely. without yeah. him, they don't have anybody else like him. They, they don't have another six foot nine, 210, 215 pound guy who can jump out of the gym, who can go get you rebounds, who can defend a guy like him. You know, we, you know, Justin Taylor is doing an admirable job playing out of position, but he's still just six foot six. And while he's a strong kid, um, six, six, he's going to be giving away some inches to some future opponents that are coming up on the schedule real soon. Mike, I think we'll close it there. I uh, really appreciate everybody checking us out here as we do these post-game shows live, but certainly available to you on the Syracuse Sports Podcast feed, on Spotify and Apple, Syracuse Orange Sports, on YouTube as well. Thanks to everybody that checked us out uh, tonight as we are now into Wednesday morning, as a matter of fact. We started the show on Tuesday, and now it's Wednesday morning. Thanks for staying up late with us if you did. Thanks for checking it out on the podcast. A big thanks to our Syracuse Sports Insiders which if you're not one, become one today. Just text the word ORANGE to 315-847-3895. The Orange are at it again at Georgetown on Saturday, and that's when we'll join you again here on Syracuse Basketball Postgame, presented by Crowd South. For Mike Waters, I'm Brent Axe. We will talk to you next time, friends.